as we pray to our Lord. Well, Heavenly Father, we give you thanks uh, for who you are. We give you thanks for what you're doing in our lives. Lord, thank you that it is by your grace that we're gathering here this morning and we've come to worship you and to hear from you. And Father, would you please help us? Our hearts can be so wicked, we can be so distracted when we're meant to be attentive here and listening and and learning from your word and worshipping you and just giving you thanks. Lord, we can be distracted, we can have mixed motives, our feelings can be all over the place. But Lord, we want to just focus on you and we ask for your help in that. Would you direct us, Lord? Would you help the position of our heart to be pure before you, to be right before you? And may our gathering together, as much as it encourages us to be in your presence, Lord, may it bring you glory and may you be pleased with us this morning. We commit this time to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as I mentioned before, I've been away recently at a conference, and it was a pastor's conference, and there was about 600 of us, and the theme of the conference was the pastor and his care for souls. And we took the time to look at the biblical model of soul care, and specifically Paul's heart that he examples in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and 3, that he is like a nursing mother uh, to his children in the faith, and he exhorted them day and night, and he wasn't a burden to any of them. And he did this to all that the Lord had entrusted into his care. And I just tell you that so you understand that my mind and my heart right now has been so saturated and is caught up in the learning of soul care and shepherding that I'm about a million miles away from what's happening in John's Gospel. And so I thought for our time together this morning, we'll take a break from the Gospel according to John, and I'd just like to teach some things that I've learned and some things that are currently on my heart regarding, regarding soul care and the responsibility that we all have to look out for our brothers and sisters in the faith, and we are all to be taking care of one another. I think oftentimes we can forget or just assume that the ministry of soul care, meaning the ministry of discipleship and counselling and exhorting and rebuking and encouraging and serving one another, praying for one another, falls solely on the elders or the pastors or the leaders of the church. And if you think that, that's okay, Lord willing, we won't by the end of this sermon, because by way of introduction, I want to visit some New Testament passages that challenge that line of thinking and actually puts the responsibility of ministering to each other on all of us. Before we get started, though, I have to be clear that that's not to say that the Lord doesn't raise up specific leaders in his church and he gifts them. He does do that. Leaders and elders and pastors and deacons are all gifts from the Lord to his church. And they do fill an important, unique role. But at the end of the day, these men who God raise up are still only sheep. They are sheep who stand on their hind legs, if you will, and simultaneously remain sheep, but also shepherd the flock. 
And so don't get me wrong, there is certainly a special role that the Lord raises men up to fulfill to take the brunt of the ministry of the church, but it's our God-given responsibility as members of the church to help them in this work and to make sure that our fellow sheep are growing and are maturing in the faith. Every one of us in the church is called to be a discipler and a counsellor whether we've been trained in that area or not. We're to encourage one another with the word and we're to spur one another on in our faith and help our brothers and sisters who are in trial and who are struggling in sin. It's a responsibility all of us as the Lord's sheep have to be serving one another in this way and it's all for the purpose of helping one another be conformed into the image of Christ. That's the in goal of this. That's the end goal of church, of fellowship. And so to begin, let's look at a couple of passages that remind us of that, that it's our responsibility to be caring for one another. If you have your Bibles, please would you open them and turn to Romans 15, Romans chapter 15, and we'll just look at verse 14. Romans 15:14, and as you're turning there, the first thing to note about this verse is that this is a letter Paul is writing to the whole church. He's not speaking to the leaders of the church, but to everyone who makes up the church. And he says in verse 14, And concerning you, my brethren, I myself also am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able also to admonish one another. Now notice, my brethren, this is a sheep-to-sheep verse, and Paul says that because they're sheep, they're believers in Christ, he's convinced of three things. The first thing that he's convinced of is that they're full of goodness. Now what does Paul mean by that? Well, he's not saying that they're perfect, but because they are the Lord's people, they are indwelt with the Holy Spirit. They are people full of goodness. They have the Lord's Spirit. Now not only are they filled with goodness, but secondly, Paul is convinced that because they have the Scriptures, that they are also filled with knowledge. They are believers, they have the Scriptures, they are filled with goodness, and they are also filled with knowledge. Now as a result of being filled with the Spirit, and as a result of having the Scriptures, it leads us to the third thing that Paul is convinced of in these believers and that's that they are able to admonish one another. Now, admonish literally means to place truth into somebody's mind. And to counsel one another would be another way to put it. And admonishment has a flavor of correction in it. Paul is convinced that these people can correct each other. And who are these people? The elders of the church no these are fellow sheep members of the church counseling admonishing and correcting other members if we turn to hebrews hebrews chapter 3 hebrews chapter 3 and verse 13 we read there an instruction that says Encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. 
Here we have another verse that instructs us all to be encouragers to one another, encourage one another, day after day. And for what purpose? It's so that none of us will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And so the truth being communicated in this verse is that sin is deceitful, it's deceptive. Satan can easily catch each of us in our blind spots. And because of that, we, as the Lord's people, need each other. We need each other's encouragement. No man can be an island in the Christian faith and survive. We need each other and we have a responsibility to be encouraging to one another so that none of us will fall into the deceitful traps of sin and as a result have hard hearts towards the things of the Lord. This is a ministry the writer of Hebrews lays on the whole church. We're all to be playing our part in encouraging one another. It's simply not possible if it was just on the shoulders of one or two guys to be the encouragers in the church. would soon have a church that would be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin because not everyone's been sufficiently encouraged in their faith. If you turn over a couple chapters to Hebrews chapter 10, Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 24 and 25, the scripture repeats this instruction again, but it just expands on it a little bit more. It says in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25, And let us consider how to encourage one another in loving good deeds, not abandoning our own meeting together, as is the habit of some people, but but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So just to reiterate, whose job is it to be encouraging the flock? All of ours. Let us consider how to encourage one another. And so would it be admonishing or counselling one another, Romans 15:14? We're to be encouraging one another in love and good deeds, so that, Hebrews 3 and 13, none of us fall into the deceitfulness of sin. And this is a ministry we are all to be involved in, encouraging and admonishing one another. Now these are just a couple of verses that we've looked at that place the responsibility of caring for one another, not just on the leaders of the church, but on all of us. And there's others that we could look at, but I just cherry-picked these ones just to lay a foundation for us and to introduce to us the verse that we're going to be looking at today. And that's First Thessalonians chapter 5. You can turn there, First Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 14. And I've titled this sermon, Equipped to Counsel One Another in Times of Need. Equipped to Counsel One Another in Times of Need. Because if I had to put my finger on it, finger on what it is that hinders us the most in fulfilling the ministry that the Lord has called us to fulfill, that of caring for one another, and counselling and encouraging one another, I believe the biggest reluctance comes from just not knowing what to do or what to say in a given situation. 
Even though we have the Spirit and we have the Scriptures, there can still be this doubt in our hearts that I'm just not equipped to do such a task. To admonish someone. To encourage someone. I just don't know how to minister to my brother or sister. And I think there's something in all of us that can relate with that. And that's okay. It's a good position to be in. You never want to get to the point where you think, yeah, I've got it. I'm the man. And so there's a humility in that. But we can't just stay there and be ill-equipped to fulfill a ministry that the Lord has called us to fulfill. Now, sure, there's probably fear of man, and some of us can be relationally lazy, but a helpful tool in getting over the fear of man and laziness is just being equipped, knowing what to do, and having a grid in our minds as to what it is I'm going to say in a certain situation that might need addressing in my brother or sister's life. And that's where our verse for today comes in. I want us to use the remainder of our time this morning just looking at this one verse, because this verse, 1 Thessalonians 5.14, is going to provide for us a simple framework that we can have in our minds that we can always refer back to when our brother or sister is in a time of need of counselling whether it be encouraging or admonishing them. Now that's because in this short, punchy verse, the writers of Thessalonians, now there's three of them, Paul, Salvanus, and Timothy, they provide for us three counselling instructions that aid in equipping us to counsel one another. Three counselling instructions. Now, In these three instructions, they diagnose for us three different spiritual conditions. Three different spiritual conditions paired with three instructions on how we're to minister to each condition. Now, the three spiritual conditions are number one, the unruly, number two, the faint-hearted, and number three, the weak. And the three counseling instructions that we're to employ are that we're to admonish the unruly, encourage the faint hearted, and help the weak. And then our verse finishes with an additional instruction that just threads the entire thing together we're to be patient with everyone. Now, I don't want you to mishear me and think that these spiritual conditions are the only three spiritual conditions someone may be in, because that's not the case. This isn't an exhaustive be-all, end-all list, but this verse is helpful in providing for us a framework in our minds, and I guarantee that these three will be the most common that we face, and we all at one point or another are, or have, or will be, in these categories, and so will our brothers and sisters. So it's a very helpful little verse that we're going to study. And so we'll just read it together, and then we'll go back through, and we'll clarify what each instruction means. And I read from the NASB, and so your wording may be a little different, but as we go through, we'll clear up 
any confusion. 1 Thessalonians 5.14, it says, We urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Now, we urge you, brethren, this just confirms from the writers that this is a horizontal sheep-to-sheep verse. This isn't a shepherd-to-a-sheep verse or a sheep-to-a-shepherd verse, but this is addressing the whole church all of us, that it is our responsibility to each other. And listen to the language, we urge you. This is a pleading. This is the Spirit of God pleading with us to all heed this instruction. This isn't optional. It's not just a suggestion, but this is what the Spirit of God is saying to all of us and and urging us to do. In other words, this is just normal Christianity. And as we grow as a church... And our lives are being intermingled and we fellowship with one another. We must obey what is being instructed here. We urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly. Now it's here we find our first spiritual condition, the unruly. Who are the unruly? Well, interestingly enough, this word in the Greek can have a few different meanings. Some of your Bibles may have the idle, admonish the idle, or the lazy, and that's certainly one aspect of this word. In extra-biblical literature, this word was actually used as a military term, and it was used to describe those who were out of step, the unruly, those who, when everyone else is going one way, they would be going the other way. Or they would be lagging behind, or they'd be running ahead. They're out of alignment. And it also referred to those who would shirk their duties or their responsibilities, hence why some translations translate this word, the idol. Uh, They're undisciplined, they're not in line, they're being rebellious, they're reluctant to obey the marching orders, they're out of step. Now, where do our marching orders come from? The Word of God. And so the unruly are those who are out of alignment, not with our preference or our opinion, but with the Word of God. They've set themselves out of the normal order of God's Word. And we're instructed here that these people are to be admonished. Admonished. And we saw this word back in Romans 15:14 literally means to take truth and put it in the mind. So when a brother or a sister is being unruly, they're disobeying something scripture has commanded, we're instructed here that we're to go to them and take truth that they've either forgotten about or truth that they've never been aware about and place that in their minds. Admonishing, as I said before, has a flavor of correction, and so it is a correcting of these people, even warn these people, warn them of the consequences and the dangers that are on the path that they are going down. And so if you know someone and you know them well enough to know that they're out of step with God's word in an area of their lives, well, you have a responsibility to go to them and to warn them and to correct them. 
Now I know for some of us this can come very naturally to us. I know for me that I'm the type of person that doesn't shy away from conflict. Others, however, perhaps sitting here today, may be thinking that's the most terrifying thing in the world to me, to go and confront somebody or admonish someone. And you'd rather drive across town just to avoid a conflict. Well, let me help you with that, because both of us need help. Because the Bible has a lot to say about how we are to admonish someone. Galatians 6.1, for example, says that if anyone is caught in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. So for those of us who seem to have this natural bend towards conflict and correction and when we're told to go admonish someone, we're like, yeah, admonishment, let me tell you everything that's wrong with you. No, it's not like that. It's not grabbing uh, a two-by-four, spiritually speaking or metaphorically speaking, and whacking someone over it with the rod of correction. And It's a gentle act. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 16.14 that all things are to be done in love. And so to admonish someone, to correct someone, to warn something, someone is something that is to be done in love. It's to be done because you care about the person. It's to be done humbly, gently, prayerfully, done with the right... Heart attitude without hypocrisy. Matthew 7 gives us insight into that. It's because we love that person. We don't want to see them hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. But we want to see them grow and be conformed into the image of Christ. And so we go to them and we admonish them, we counsel them, we give them truths, we warn them of consequences. Like that idea that you're flirting with, do you understand if you keep following that where that's going to lead you? It's because we care about them. We come alongside them. It's not a pointing the finger. It's a coming alongside. And for those who would rather crawl under a rock and die than have to admonish someone... Ask the Lord to help you with that because this is a ministry we're all mandated to be involved in. Ask the Lord to give you courage and to increase your love for people and so that you would warn someone when they're playing with fire. So that's the first instruction. We're to admonish the unruly. Secondly, encourage the faint-hearted. Now who are the faint-hearted? Literally in the Greek, this word means the small-souled. Now, these aren't people who are out of step, but the best way to understand this spiritual condition is perhaps to understand the faint-hearted as those who have been hit by a blow, an unexpected crisis. Those who have had the wind knocked out of them. It could be a sudden death of a family member, Diagnosis of disease, people who are tired, who perhaps are discouraged, people who are anxious, people who are in despair, they're small-souled. They've been knocked down. 
And what are we to do with these people who are small-souled, the faint-hearted? Do we go and smack them over the head with some admonishment? No, we're to encourage them. Now, if we were to admonish the faint-hearted, we'd probably crush their spirit. And if we were to go and encourage the unruly, they would probably just end up even more unruly. And so that's why Paul gives us, or the writers of Thessalonians, gives us these three spiritual conditions and these three instructions for counselling. And we'll touch on that a little bit later when we get into being patient, because sometimes things aren't always as they seem. But for now, the faint-hearted, those who have just had the wind knocked out of them, they're to be encouraged. We're instructed by God to go and to console them. We're to comfort them. We're to remind them of the great truths of God's goodness and promises and blow wind back into their sails. I love that verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 6. It says, God comforts the depressed. And he comforted us by the coming of Titus. God brought along comfort to Paul through another person. And sometimes, if not most of the time, God will use us as a person of comfort to one of his other children who are hurting. A person to come alongside and to bring encouragement and comfort to weep with those who weep. An example of the faint-hearted in the scripture would be the Thessalonians here. Early on in this letter, they were discouraged. They were small-souled because they had thought that those who had died were going to miss out on the coming of the Lord. And so Paul had to teach them, and by doing so, he comforted them. If we read from chapter 4, Verses 13 to 18, we see this. He says, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that he who are, he, we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. And then verse 11 of chapter 5 says, Therefore encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. And this is an example just of Paul comforting and encouraging these believers with truth who are small-souled. And he reminds them of God's promises and God's goodness. One of my favourite verses that always brings me encouragement is Romans 8.28. For God uses all things for the good of those who love him. And that's all we need to do when bringing encouragement to someone is share with them the scriptures that encourage us. How many things does God use in my life? Some of them? No. All of them for my good.
In Isaiah 42.3, it's prophesied of Jesus that a bruised reed he will not break and a dimly burning wick he will not extinguish. And so even here we see Jesus is careful with those who are faint-hearted. He doesn't just go over to the dimly burning wick and say, well, that's never going to amount to something. Put that out. No, he puts his arms around and he blows wind back into it until it's burning bright again. We have the opportunity to minister in that way to our brothers and sisters. And so the unruly are to be admonished, the faint-hearted are to be encouraged, and now our third counselling instruction, help the weak. Help the weak. Who are the weak? Well, these are the weak in faith, the ones whose faith isn't strong, the spiritually immature. We may recall Romans 14 when Paul talks about principles of conscience and those who, whose consciences are bothered by things the scriptures don't talk about. And what are they called? They are called the weak in faith. And it's the same Greek word. It's the same people here mentioned in 1 Thessalonians. The weak are the babes in Christ. And what are we to do with the weak? We're to help them. And this word help in its original context, is the same word that's used in Titus when Paul instructs Titus to hold fast to the faithful word. It literally means to cling to. And Jesus used this word in Matthew 6.24 when he's teaching that you can't serve God and mammon. You can't serve both God and money. You will either be, and here's our word, devoted to one. You will cling to one, and you will despise the other. And so the translators have taken that word, and here they've translated it help. But the idea is that we're to cling to those who are weak the same way an idolatrous man would cling to his money, or the same way a young pastor would cling to the word. It's a tight Grip, And that's the point. When there are newly born Christians in our fellowship, or Christians who have been in the faith for a long time, but they still have weak faith, they're in need of someone to come alongside them and cling to them, to hold them firmly and help them grow in their faith. What they need, and really all this is, is discipleship. Long-term, close discipleship. Someone to hold them and to train them and to help them grow. The apostles modelled this back in chapter 2 of Thessalonians. We read 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 7 to 12, and just listen to Paul's heart. He says, But we prove to be gentle among you, as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children, having so fond an affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become very dear to us. For you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship, how working night and day, so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are our witnesses, and so is God 
how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behave toward you believers, just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each of you as a father would his own children, so that you would walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Paul and his associates discipled these Thessalonian believers the same way a mother and a father would their own children. He shared his life with them. He clung to them. And that's an example of what it means to help the weak. Now lastly, this verse ends with this command that just threads the entire thing together. We urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone. We're to be patient. And patient with who? With some men who we like? No. With all men. Everyone. We're to have a long fuse with all men. Now this is just brilliant because all of us are wired differently and for each of us there are certain people that can just rub us up the wrong way and it's easy to become frustrated. Some people perhaps... You cannot stand loud, unruly people. You just can't deal with them. Well, here's your instruction. Be patient with them. Others, you may enjoy loud and unruly people because they remind you of what you used to be. And so you gravitate towards them. And for others, you may have a faith so strongly anchored in God's sovereignty that faint-hearted people just annoy you and oh they're just crying all the time and they can be whining and complaining and well here's the command be patient bear with them and perhaps even others still can't stand new believers I mean how many times do you have to go around the same hill before they would learn you know I heard it said once that new believers can be like new shoes you, know, you love them, but boy, they can give you blisters. And some of us may have that attitude towards new believers, but as God has instructed us here, we're to be patient with all men, not losing our temper at any, but long-suffering with them. And so that threads, the, and threads this entire structure together because we're all called to be in this ministry together. All three of them... Um, where we can partake and where we can minister to others, we're to be involved and we're to be patient with all people. We're to be patient when someone has been unruly, we're to be patient when someone is faint-hearted and we're to be patient with the weak. And if I could just add a footnote on being patient with one another, it's not only a heart attitude that we're to have, but it's also simple wisdom because sometimes things just aren't as they seem. We should be patient with our diagnosis of people. It's not just, oh, yep, you're that category, you're that category, you're that category. No. It's about building up and bringing into what's needed in the moment. But sometimes the unruly might look like faint-hearted. They may wear the costume of the faint-hearted or weak people may look like unruly people. And I'll give you an example. I have a friend who 
had a guy once come into his office and this guy was nicked off at the Bible, he was nicked off at God and he was very open and expressive about it. He had been hurt by a church and he had come out of it. And the immediate thought of uh, this pastor was to think, ah, unruly. Listen to that language. Listen to that attitude. He's out of step with God's word. But as he met with the guy week in and week out, he started to notice that this loud unruliness would always melt when the scriptures were presented. And it wasn't unruliness that this man was expressing. He was actually just weak. He was a weak Christian in the faith. He was a baby Christian. And that's just how that came out. All he needed was discipling. Another example would be sometimes the unruly may wear the costume of the faint-hearted. And some people may be in tears because their life is a mess and they come to you and you think, oh, faint-hearted, and so you encourage them and sure, that's what you believe is the need of the moment. But as you're patient with them and six months go by and this person's life is still a mess and they're still in tears, perhaps their problem isn't that they're faint-hearted but they're being stubborn and unruly and that's why their life is a mess. They need to be brought into line with God's word. And so the command for all of us, be patient. We're to be patient with people. And, you know, time and truth go hand in hand. Give things enough time and the truth will always be revealed. And so be patient as time goes by. But just in closing, to recap, when you have the opportunity to minister to a brother or sister, this is a grid that you can come back to in your minds that can help you as to what it is that you're to say or what is the need of the moment. When you have the opportunity to admonish someone who is unruly, then humbly and lovingly do so. When you have the opportunity to encourage the faint-hearted, then do that. And when you have the opportunity to cling to someone or pursue a friendship with someone who is weak in the faith, then by God's grace, do so. And as we all obey God's instructions for us as his people, we remember that the fruit of the Spirit is patience and we're to be patient with everyone. Let's close in prayer. Well, Father, we thank you for your instruction. And Lord, what a convicting verse. And we ask, Lord, that you'd please help us in this. Help us, Lord, with our love for one another. Help us care for one another. Help us, Lord, to admonish one another. Help us to encourage one another and help us to help one another. I pray, Lord, that we as your church would obey what it is that you have called us to obey and all of us would be fulfilling our God-given ministry to minister to one another and to take care of one another. Uh, Lord, we need your help. Give us discernment, we pray, as to what we're to say, 
Give us humble hearts. Help us, Lord, as well, be teachable. That if a brother or sister does come with something that they've noticed in our lives, Lord, I pray that we wouldn't be prideful, but we would be teachable and humbly receive correction. And Father, we remember what this is all for. It's not to get a leg up on one another. It's to help each other be conformed into your image because that is the work that you were doing in us. And mysteriously, Lord, you also choose us to play a part in that. And so we thank you, God, and we ask again for your help as we look to serve one another. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.